everybody. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Comp Day, the podcast supporting young professionals of color. Thank you again for tuning in. So today's episode, before we go in, I want to um, highlight the employee of the day. This episode's around the finance industry. And one of the queens of the industry herself is Fami Kadir. She is a woman of Bangladeshi descent, and she, run, she runs and, fun, and founded a um, capital fund called Safket Capital, a hedge fund that specifically focuses on betting against stocks. And she, you might have seen her name on Netflix, um, Dirty Money um, movie. She's been viewed on 30 Under 30 for Forbes. And she basically is an oracle for seeing how the stock market's going to work, specifically pharmaceutical companies. And she was able to predict the downfall of um, a of Valiant, a pharmaceutical giant that was just doing a lot of unethical crap and like raising prices on marginalized communities that depended on the medications. So, um, Fami Kadir, you can her name is spelled F A H M I. Q-U-A-D-I-R. So now to business. (laughs) So this episode is around bringing representation in the finance um, sector. And I brought in three wonderful humans with me. If everyone, if you can say um, your name, how you identify um, culturally and ethnically, and what your profession is. I can start. Uh, my name is Tommy Rodriguez. I'm well. I identify as half Asian, half Latino, um, so mixed. And currently, I'm working in finance in the investment management field. Um, and I just graduated college, so just starting out very early. Welcome back, Tommy. Tommy's been on almost like every other episode. So welcome <laughs> back. Um, and he didn't just finish college. He literally has been interning and just making money even before he graduated. So welcome back. Thank you. Well, yes, uh, I'm Calvin, um, pronounced he, him, and I identify as African-American. I work um, for a bald racket bank in asset management doing strategy for them. So I've been in the industry for about six years. Welcome, Calvin. I'm sorry. (laughs) All good. I'm Sharda, and I'm fully Indian, and I'm about to graduate this semester, and I'm going to be working in investment banking. That's right. I I love it. Fully Indian. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, Sharda. (laughs) So I want to start by, can you, so some folks understand the terms of your professions, but if you can each kind of go in a little bit and discuss what your specific roles are, what the responsibilities of those roles are for folks at home that are just maybe pondering if they should go into finance or they want to do a career transition or someone's in college and they, they're they like, oh, what can I do? If you can discuss a bit of what that is and how you learned of the position or have you learned about the industry that you're in today? So um, I, I'll, I'll start. Um, I guess the first term I should define is bulge bracket, um, that refers to banks that are um, the larger, more named institutions, you know, your, your Goldman Sachs, Citi, JP Morgan, Bank of America, um, the more household names that sort of do everything. Um, and they also do a lot of recruiting at colleges. So that's how I first learned about it. I was a finance major um, in college, and I was recruited pretty directly out of the career center. Um, typically, that's how a lot of um, college like 
juniors and seniors really find their path within the finance industry. Nice. And then your role, can you discuss a little bit of what your role is? <laughs> uh, so that's a little more complicated. Um, I think when I first got out of school, I was in a very traditional um, sales and trading sort of role, um, focusing on fixed income. Now I moved over to what we call asset management, which um, focuses on creating the funds that most, um, like, uh, how do I describe this? Uh, it focuses on creating the, the mutual funds, the um, exchange-traded funds, the um, you know, beta ETFs that um, pensions and a lot of other like large families and you know, retirement funds would, would um, invest in. And doing strategy for them means that I um, help them sort of plan for the next five to 10 years to see where industry trends are going, to see where clients would like to put their money and see um, what new investment vehicles we can provide for clients. So just to give a little background for folks who aren't as familiar with um, the stock market, essentially there are mutual funds, which is a collection of, okay, so if we break it up, their funds are kind of like, they're like pieces of a, a giant machine. And essentially, mutual funds are more, um, they're created by folks like Calvin or folks within the industry that create a collection of these funds that are specific purposes. So let's say you're born in the year 1993, the year you're supposed to retire, like 2050, there's a fund just for folks like that. So it calculates risk at a certain, because the stock market is the best way to, investing is the best way to bring money because the stock market fights inflation it keeps going up and up when you're young they say be riskier but when you're older you be more conservative so you don't lose your money as much so some of these mutual funds are created to essentially accommodate that but then there's other ones like the sp500 this which is the largest 500 companies and how their stocks are doing and collecting and there's a bunch of other ones some for um bonds so essentially it's Different mutual funds behave differently. Some are more risky, some are more conservative, some are different um, interest areas. However, that is how people invest. They you, you buy a little bit of a stock, you buy a share, and you're a partial owner with the rest of the world. And then when it does well, you do well. When it doesn't do well, you lose money. But um, yeah, just type online. There's a ton of stuff that you can look at to see which one's the right one for you. But, the, but yeah, I will let um, the other guys kind of jump in. Uh, sure. So I'm also going into a bulge bracket in private wealth management, which sort of works alongside with asset management and, you know, moving capital from ultra high net worth investors to these products um, and to game, to give them exposure into, you know, the capital markets, into different asset classes. Um, and the investors we focus on or work with primarily have like hundreds of millions or billions of dollars worth of, um, you know, AUM or assets under management. And we sort of help them choose these different products like the mutual funds and ETFs that um, Cal mentioned. And ultimately, like we focus on finding long-term strategies. Uh, sales and trading may focus on like day-to-day -day growth. It's very um, high-frequency trading or um, much more like frequent and aggressive strategies of trading, whereas private wealth focuses more on like picking a portfolio today and keeping that strategy going on for the next five or 10 years and sticking to that single strategy and 
uh, really preparing for any sort of risk that may come um, from, you know, the markets or anything like that. And how did you get into that? <laughs> um, it was kind of through luck. I studied political science in college, so I was really sort of clueless about like the different areas within finance that I could go into. But I knew that's something I was interested in. Um, so I started out with one wealth management internship at uh, Merrill Lynch. And this was a couple of years ago. And I just happened to be on a very nice team that spent a lot of time training me and talking to me about like conceptual uh, investing strategies and ideas and uh, just going over like all these different asset classes and like how it affects investors. And that was something that really made me decide to go down this path even more. And I just, uh, very similar to Cal, applied to various internships and went to a bunch of corporate events that just connected professionals with students and gave more insight onto what they do. And yeah, from there, just built more knowledge and applied that and interviewed and ended up with the internship for the summer, which is typically what people consider like their entry into like a full-time role. And it's kind of like a 10-week-long interview. And you're spending a lot of time learning because you're just out of college or you're still in college. So you can't really do anything extremely impactful. So you should focus more on learning, networking with individuals, understanding more of what they do. And that's what I did. And from there, I got a return offer. So I'll be starting in uh, July. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. Just to, just, oh, sorry. No. Just to check, so I just want to be clear. So, Cal, you work more on the vendor side versus, Tom, you work more on the client side, if we made, like, a more general breakdown of uh, yeah, what y'all do. I, I would say that's pretty accurate. Um, yeah, my side of the business creates the products, and um, his side of the business sells them to, you know, the individuals. And yeah, very wealthy, large institutions. <laughs> <laughs> Sharda. Yeah. Um, so investment banking is a bit different. High level, it is a client business. It's when two companies want to merge or when a company wants to sell an asset. Um, they need someone to value the asset, to find someone to sell it to. Um, and we kind of serve that role. Um, and I'll be joining a bulge bracket as well. And I'll be covering industrials. So when you cover a specific sector, you have to basically have an expertise on that sector. So that's where you kind of add your value to a client, right? So like, you know, other businesses within the industry, so you can go contact them and say, you can sell your asset to this company because it would make sense um, for these reasons. Um, so as an analyst, you are basically in charge of helping the higher up people create these products or create these presentations or value those assets to uh, go and convince them to use us um, to help them and when you help um, facilitate a merger and acquisition you get you take a fee or you get a fee um, and that's how banks make money off of that, that kind of thing and that's kind of what an analyst does um, I got into it my freshman year actually because right when I joined Brew College I didn't even know what finance was and I joined one of our funds so we actually manage money at our school um, mm. and through that I just found out about investment banking and I um, decided that that was the best thing I could do out of college. I won a stock pitch competition as a freshman. I don't even know how. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> just just happened. Awesome. Um, very random. And the prize was a first round interview and I couldn't take it because they didn't offer freshman internships. So I just kept in touch and did it my sophomore year. So I interned with the group I'm going to be joining for two summers. 
you're a badass. <laughs> <laughs> I have to start there. That is so cool. Um, and just to ask a little more, um, so you're doing, you're value, valuing their assets, kind of appraising what's going on. And you said there's a fee, but you specifically specialize in industrial. Can you kind of share with the listeners on what that specifically means, your specification? Yeah. Um, so basically the way most banks break it down is you can either specialize within a specific product. So you can either focus on a specific model. Like if you um, focus on M&A deals, you'll kind of, your your specialty will be knowing how to create an uh, M&A model. So that's more of like a valuation thing. And then you, um, it's also broken down into coverage teams. And that means you uh, have an expertise on the sector. Um, so either you can have an expertise on healthcare, industrials, and you work across different valuation products. So you cater to everything a client needs, but within a certain industry. Um, and in industrials, that covers a really large space, um, like trucking, packaging, chemicals, um, and basically everything that's kind of like, that kind of, it's like the backbone of the economy. That's kind of how <laughs> I describe it. Um, and airlines is also included in that. Um, so as an analyst, you focus on those specific clients, but you cater to basically everything they need. So not just M&A, like if they want to issue bonds, um, do an equity offering. Um, so you have a little bit more range on that space. So the kind of um, experience you're exposed to, and then you kind of get the industry expertise nice. as well. Yeah. So I, you all have kind of touched upon how you got into your industries and you did all intern at some point. Is interning a like it needs to happen or are there some people who walk into the industry without interning is it is it harder to transition from another industry <laughs> or another sector if um because you're not coming from an internship like can you maybe discuss some of the things that you've seen or experienced in terms of folks kind of trying to enter into your world so as i mentioned a lot of people see that junior year internship as like the initial step towards going full time um and I think I saw a statistic somewhere for my particular company that 90% of the full-time employees were actually interns. And I saw that of my intern class, like maybe 40% of them got a return offer. And those for, that 40% filled up all the open seats for um, you know full-time employees. So that doesn't leave too much room for them to kind of search outside of that intern class or within the firm to find um, you know new people to fill in those roles. So I think it's that's ultimately like the main way to get into a full-time position and I'm sure it's the same for um you know your guys companies also. Yeah, it's um at least from what I've seen the younger you are the better chance you have um just because they banks do a lot of early on planning, um, filling in roles so that they know they have the staff they need to do the deals or to do the work. Um, I notice if you're switching from a different industry, people usually go to business school and just join in a higher position. So you would join as associate um, after you go to business school, and it's usually a lot harder to get the position afterwards. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can absolutely, um, I absolutely agree with that statement. Um, I actually did not have an internship in um, finance when I first started. I interned in commercial real estate, and I, I thought that was amazing until it wasn't. And um, it was a pretty tough senior year. Um, you know, a lot of those slots fill up um, very quickly. Um, I know with a lot of the bulge brackets, they have return rates of 
anywhere between 85 and 95 percent, uh, depending on the company, depending on their goal, depending on the group. And uh, that's it, it's pretty hard to break in. Um, I ended up breaking in, uh, you know, over the summer after my senior year, uh, kind of taking a lower level role and then building myself up um, to a sales position on the trading floor. Um, but it's not typical. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't suggest it. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> it, it, it definitely was a bit more of a grind trying to break in versus, you know, going the traditional route, um, you know, going to the corporate presentations, um, going through the traditional recruiting, uh, channels. I mean, it's interesting because I had all that. I went, I went to a lot of them and I just eventually chose a company I didn't totally like. But the flip side of that was um, a bit more of a challenge in ending up where I did. Nice. So we can collectively say that um, organizations in the finance sector specifically treat their talent and labor as investments. So essentially how like insurance companies look at you have a lower rate if you're young and healthy and vice versa. So they're looking at you like you're an investment because you're young. We can input a ton of information into you, but also you have a longer shelf life into producing. <laughs> and you will just the more we invest in you is the bigger and better it gets versus um, folks who are coming in, let's say, tw- 10 years or 15 years in from somewhere else. They're kind of more at a risk because they're like, oh, well, we don't know how much we can give you, information we can give you. We have a set amount of knowledge that we want to input to people, and you're not coming with that, but I guess it's like a 50-50 trade. So if it's a really a valuable and rare skill that they do not possess at all, and they're like, we must bring you in because you're bringing in something we do cannot teach, I guess that's the easiest way. Or unless you're saying someone, um, Sharda, how you said someone will go to business school, but then they'll come in as an associate. Which is still very difficult. Yeah, and you'll also notice. I don't know if that's um, you guys, your guys' experience as well, but associates tend to have to work a lot harder to figure out or, or to fill their position or do well in their position, just because it's so valuable to start as an analyst and like really know how to do the analyst job before you move up. Um, but it's always um, it's always doable, and it's just um, even after you go to business school. Um, you usually have prior experience before that that helps you. So there's obviously always a way, but it's just not typical. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my first boss, when I um, moved, made my move to New York, uh, called it unlearning. And it, it it sort of speaks to how much training they give you as an analyst. You know, When you come in as an analyst, you're expected to be smart. You're expected to have done well in school and done well in other aspects of your life, you know, whatever adds to your resume. Um, and then what the banks really teach you is how important it is to be detail-oriented, how um, you know, this large institution in general runs because, you know, you're talking about companies with, you know, 100,000, 200,000 employees depending on which bulge bracket um, specifically and there is a culture adjustment to joining an institution that, that that's that large. Um, and then, you know, there's a culture adjustment to joining your group. Like, there's a lot of expertise. I know you, know, you said that you're in industrials. Like, that's a very specific sector that has a lot of nuances that, um, you know, takes a while to learn all that. And none of it is in a book. It's all 
in someone else's head who's very senior. And that's the, those are the kind of things that you learn when you're an analyst and you get to sort of sit behind your director or managing director and hear all these things. And that, that experience is invaluable. So to walk in without that, um, it, it's not like you can't. I, I did. But there is absolutely a knowledge curve that you need to fill. And um, sorry, I, I should say there's a knowledge gap that you need to fill. Um, and that takes a little bit of time and finance is fast paced. So that time is not always there and it's very valuable. So whatever opportunity you get, you have to take it. And one thing I do want to touch on, um, the industry being fast paced, one area that they seem to not be fast paced on is diversity from what I've been seeing, but they're working on it. Um, but it's just still a very difficult thing to bring in different folks and different groups of people, even though their ERGs are doing better than nobody else in the world. But can you guys discuss a bit about anecdotally? Um, are you seeing people who look like you in your in your workplaces, in your specific sector? Are you not seeing, let's say, the type of department or the type of work you do? Are they not there? Um, in the sense, in the 2018 census, there's kind of a discrepancy between like analysts versus ops professionals and vice versa. Different um, groups make up there may be more women in certain um, sec- in parts of the sector. There may be more Asian people, more black people. Um, so like, yeah, um, in your own experiences, are you seeing people that look like you and what you do? And if not, are you seeing them in other places in the, the work that happens or you're not seeing people that look like you at all? Um, well, in terms of diversity in the company I'm going to, I didn't see too many people that were similar to me ethnically. Um, I didn't see any Asian people or I think I saw maybe like two Latinos out of like 300 people. Um, so that was kind of a shock for me. Um, but I know the firm is trying to make a huge push to bring in more people like in the future incoming analyst classes they really want to like set a certain percentage of people to be of this sort of background whether it's um, gender or ethnicity or um, whether they're like lgbt or not um, our ceo like made some sort of announcement on that so that was pretty cool when i was interning there they actually brought me into a diversity meeting where all of the interns who were of some sort of diverse background got a voice and could contribute ideas onto how to improve diversity. So that was pretty nice to see. Um, when I was in this meeting, sitting with a bunch of partners and managing directors, I was able to say, like, um, you know, this one event that you guys threw a year ago really, like, pushed me to apply to this company. And I thought that was great because it was catered specifically for people from my college. And my college is considered, like, one of the most diverse colleges in the country. So I said, you know, that was a good strategy to try to appeal to people from my school particularly and going forward i think if you kind of raise more awareness within um you know these colleges that would be like very effective for increasing um, the diversity percentage yeah i i would agree with that sentiment a, a lot i mean it, it since all the recruiting starts in college um your diversity pool is only as diverse as the colleges that you recruit from. Mm -hmm. And what you find with um, especially the bulge bracket institutions is that they only really recruit in earnest from about 20 to 25 schools. Um, And 
they're the names that you would expect. They're, you know, UPenn, Caltech, um, USC, Georgetown, Harvard, Yale, you know, I mean, the list goes on, but I, they're all pretty much within that realm. So uh, your pool is only as diverse as those schools to start off with. Then you add on the fact that the industry as a whole has historically been very cis white male. Um, and that does keep, that, that does kind of hinder some people who even may consider going into finance, who may see that and say, okay, maybe this isn't the place for me. Um, I, I will say in, in my experience, I have you know, volunteered for some of the um, BRGs or ERGs. It's business resource groups or um, employee resource groups, depending on the company. But essentially, it's an affinity group. It's your African-American network. It's your Asian network. It's your women's network, um, LGBT network. Um, and there is a focus on recruiting more um, from more diverse pools and having more targeted re um, recruiting. At the same time, when your pool is fairly small, um, you know, it's kind of your inputs or your outputs. So uh, the composition of whatever floor you're going to be on, you know, when you actually get to the building does tend to be pretty white. Um, I think my institution does pretty well with diversity. There's a lot of women, uh, especially women in very senior leadership positions, um, even up right under the CEO. But uh, when it comes to people of color and when it comes to LGBT, uh, it, there's always a bit of a challenge. And, you know, some of, a lot of that is where they start recruiting from. Um, I think once you get in the door, uh, there is a bit of a culture shift that has to happen as well. And, you know, it, it's, in my opinion, everyone has to go through the culture shift, white, black gay, Asian. Everyone goes through this culture shift of becoming an analyst and then getting to the next level, becoming an associate and beyond. Um, but I think that culture shift may be a bit harder um, for people of color and LGBT folks, just speaking personally, uh, because there are fewer people to, to model as you go through that shift, um, which isn't to say that you can't. Uh, increased diversity, but that it's definitely a challenge that I've seen experienced. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think um, some of it has to do with just the reputation that finance has, um, the culture that people are, associate with finance. Um, people, who, especially LGBT diversity, um, I have a lot of friends like that who just are completely turned off by wanting to, like they don't want to pursue finance just because of that reason. Um, but I would say specifically for my bank, um, they do a really good job with diversity. And that's one of the reasons I decided to stay on. I think there are a lot of women in leadership, um, a lot of people of different ethnicities in leadership. Um, and I think it does depend on the specific industry and specific group as well, though. Um, specifically with industrials, um, every client that you deal with is an old white male, just to, to be to be frank. Um, so it's hard to be a woman in uh, leadership in an industry like that. So those are the next challenges people kind of face. Um, you'll see a lot of women in leadership positions in consumers or um, healthcare or something like that. So that's where diversity kind of excels. Um, but in a... It, 
does depend on the clients you deal with, of course. But um, I think that for recruiting purposes and just trying to create that to create that culture shift, um, more events would be my recommendation. I think that the reason I even decided to stick with my bank was because of the women's events, the women's networks, um, just so you could see and like find people and meet people you relate to. And I think that has a huge impact on where you want to work. Very insightful. That's really that's this is a lot to learn for me. <laughs> um, just to kind of um, close out a bit um, for folks that are listening, that are contemplating whether to go into the industry or they're in the industry, but they want to try to join another part or they don't know what to do or they don't know what to talk to. What is something that you wish that someone had told you during a similar moment in your career What's the first thing that comes to mind <laughs> um, for each of you? Um, I'll go first. Uh, just ask the managing director to coffee. It <laughs> it seems it, it seems daunting. It it you know to talk to someone that high up when you are so young. Um, at the same time, one people love to talk about themselves, and that's true. If it's you know, if you're an analyst or associate, if you're all the way up to managing director, um, but also they they do generally like to talk to analysts and associates who are just starting out. Um, you know their time is very valuable, so you know kind of expect to say, hey, like I would like to talk to you within the next two weeks. Let's kind of put a half hour on your calendar. But you'll find that um, most people, no matter how senior they are. Um, will make time. And that half hour will give you so much experience and so much knowledge um, you know, to be passed on. And it also might lead to a couple of other connections. Like you talk to one person and then they will lead you to to other people and, you know, the waterfall sort of continues that way. And it's a great way to, one, find a mentor, but also um, it sort of not have to deal with so many of the cultural and political challenges of work by yourself. Thank you. I would say another very important thing that I wish I knew as early on as possible is to put yourself in the right position to gain as much exposure as you can to, you know, other professionals or any sort of events or even student organizations in college. Um, if you put yourself in the right place or position, and that could be like transferring to school, a different school, which is what I did, or applying to as many corporate events, or, you know, going on to LinkedIn and just reaching out to a bunch of people. And, you know, like Cal said, just ask for a coffee, ask to get on a phone call and learn about what they do. That just gives you a better sense of maybe what you'd be interested in and what the real responsibilities in the day to day looks like versus, you know, just going on Google or, um, you know, Investopedia and just trying to learn this stuff, it's not as relevant to what you would potentially be doing. And I think that's the most important thing, just to gain that exposure and give yourself the opportunity to, you know, sort of make a positive impression anywhere you go in your student organization or when you finally get to sit down face to face with an employee yeah, I think my advice would be along the same lines. Um, knowing exactly what you want to get out of 
something or out of an internship or out of a job because I think it's really easy to get lost um, in your work and what you do because it's just all over the place. You're constantly doing different things. But um, I think your work becomes more satisfying um, when you know what you want to learn or what you want to gain out of something. Um, and if it helps you in the long run, becomes more valuable. <laughs> but yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Sharda, Calvin, and Tommy. I really do um, appreciate the moment we had today. And this is very insightful. I hope people can leave some with some gems. And we hopefully, hopefully change some lives today. <laughs> thank you so much. Cool. Thank you, Andre. Yep, thank you. Thank you. We're going to clock out. <laughs>